District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. Dear listeners, I am checking in from Alaska where I am on a reporting trip where I am filming a couple new episodes of Conservation Nation straight from Alaska. But in the meantime, I have a special interview for you today. I am sitting down with Tom Kubinick, CEO and president of Secure Tactical. You're going to learn about safe gun storage, some of the innovations they're employing, conservation practices that they want to do with their new Secure Ranch. Had a great riveting conversation with Tom. Grateful to be connected to him through our mutual friend, Baker Levitt. I hope you enjoy the conversation and are motivated to safely store your firearms in innovative ways. Thanks for listening. Hope you like my conversation with Tom today. We are joined by Tom from Secure Tactical. We're going to learn about storing guns safely, conservation, and what is happening in this space as it relates to the firearms industry. Tom, thank you so much for joining. I'm glad we could be connected. Yeah, I, I was excited. Uh, Emily, who's uh, in our marketing department, PR, um, put this together. And I listened to a lot of your podcasts and I was like, wow, this is this is going to be good. It's very kind of you to say. We're really excited to have you talk about your services, the company, the product. But first, I want my listeners to get to know you. Who are you in particular? How did you get involved in the firearms industry and any projects you're working on independent of the company? It's a... Uh... It's a convoluted story. I was a uh, professional guitar player out of high school. I played in heavy metal bands for 12 years and uh, completely removed from firearms and uh, lived in Hollywood, was doing well. I developed tendonitis and it forced me to stop playing guitar. So I got into sales and started a telemarketing business in 1987 and uh Built that up selling computer-related products, and then that morphed into selling laptop security cabinets when the HIPAA laws came out. And then I got a phone call in 2001 with a guy asking, can you guys store an MP5? I responded, sure. What's an MP5? He goes, what's a little machine gun? I started laughing. I go, who is this? And he goes, he was with the FBI. And that was the first time I'd ever considered firearm storage. So we talked for about 20 minutes, and I said, give me some time. So I started just playing with some ideas for storing guns, having never seen a military-style weapon rack. And I started also doing research and realized, you know, this was back before Google, you know, using Yahoo and other search terms, that the military was facing a pretty significant crisis of, in, in their armories, they were transitioning from the M16 to the M4, which is a standard 39-inch battle rifle, to really what, you know, what you'd call a modular weapon storage system or a weapon storage platform. It's very adjustable. There's lots of different attachments, different optics, and they didn't have the capacity to deal with this. So we started working on it. I was working with a Canadian company that made my laptop cabinets and came up with some ideas, started marketing those. And then in 2008, um, I was frustrated with the Canadian company and I sat down myself and designed a weapon storage system which we presented to U.S. Army Special Forces Command in Fort Bragg. And that was in 2008. It was patented that year. And by 2011, we were the largest supplier to the U.S. military for weapon storage. 
And uh, I've been designing armories all over the world and building military weapon storage systems for most of the Army. We do the Marine Corps, and now we've done uh, several foreign fighting forces. And in 2016, we, 15, 16, we started to get into the consumer products. Um, government spending was dropping. There was sequestration under the Obama administration. Nothing to do with Obama. It happened to do with Congress not doing their jobs. But the military budgets were slashed um, very deeply, and our business just disappeared. So we went into consumer products with 20, almost 20 years of military experience and really almost taking on the gun safe industry with a different mindset for storing, storing guns. Everything we do is lightweight, fast access, modular, scalable storage solutions. Instead of buying a great big heavy safe if you've got a lot of guns, buy three smaller, lighter safes and put them in locations that make more sense. Front hall closet, one in your, you know, small safe under your bed, a kitchen pantry. We have a whole program. It's called decentralized storage or the principles of decentralized storage or securing firearms in your home in areas that give you a tactical advantage. And uh, we started doing that in 2016, 17. We started, it started growing quickly. And then in 2019, we were Inc. Magazine's one of the fastest growing companies in America. And we did it again in 2021. So it's uh, the retail side of our business is now 85% of the company. We still build military armories, um, but the retail side is, is just is growing exponentially as more and more people um, kind of become aware of us. We don't spend a lot on advertising. It's mostly word of mouth. And uh, people are realizing you don't need a 900-pound safe that you can never move. That's wherever you put it, that's where it is. If you decide to move, you're probably going to leave it behind. But what we sell is lightweight, easy to deal with. And once you bolt it in place, it's just as secure as a as a big heavy safe. Could you speak more to this decentralized storage? Yeah, it's... um. Again, I I came at this really, I mean, when I got into weapon storage, I didn't own a gun. I grew up shooting. I grew up, you know, we had firearms around, but as a musician on the road, it just was not part of my lifestyle. And we started to secure it. And uh, I was 100% focused traveling to military bases all over the world and just consumed in that world. So we came into the consumer product group. I came at it for looking at houses the way I look at armories. And the idea of this great big heavy safe in the basement makes no sense. Or even worse, when you see, I see the ads for a like a big safe where in, in the ad, like in a magazine, it'll be a beautiful safe with maroon, shiny paint. And the adults will have heritage, heirloom, investment are the big words. And you've got the, you've got the safe next to a river rock fireplace with a pool table, a view of the Rocky Mountains out the window. And they're talking about all this beauty and art and showpiece showing it off. And I'm thinking, everything of value is in this safe. Why are you advertising to everybody that comes to your house that you even have one? To me, it just seems crazy. Everything that we make is small and compact and able to fit into discrete locations. I mean, if somebody comes into my home, I have a sizable gun collection now. You'd never know that there's a gun in my house, but I'm never more than three seconds away. So decentralized storage is based on a lot of research I did. It was FBI crime data. 
when thieves break into your home, we'll talk security first. When a thief breaks into your home, he's going to go to master bathroom, master bedroom, home office, den, dining room, and they typically leave the house. They're in and out in less than 10 minutes. Once they find something of value, they typically exit at that point. It's prescription drugs, then valuables, and then they come downstairs into that home office. They're just looking at that point for something they can get to make the break-in worthwhile they can easily sell. So when I look at securing firearms, well, master bedroom would be the least secure room in your home. If you have valuables, jewelry, anything of value, your master bedroom is your least secure room. However, it's where we sleep. So when we decentralize our storage, I would look at master bedroom, one firearm or one if it's a husband and wife and they're both proficient trained shooters, one per in a small, fast access safe next to the bed or under the bed. Next, I look at the kitchen, um, a small, fast access safe in a drawer or in a cabinet. Now, I've got a sizable gun collection. So I have a cabinet in my pantry with six rifles, a couple of handguns. One of those rifles is an AR-15 that's racked, ready to roll. It's got a you know a CQB optic on it. It's a rifle I train with a lot, and that that is one of my defensive firearms. Then I look at a closet next to the front door. Most, you know, the coat closet, the front, different names for it. Closets tend to be very secure in your home. Thieves typically ignore closets. Again, I have a cabinet in that closet. It's got six rifles in it. It's got some lever actions, a hunting gun, just part of my collection. I've also got one pump shotgun, a Mossberg 500, and I've got an AR-15. Um, in my den, I look at, it's a room we spend a lot of time in. Um, not a particularly secure room, small, fast access handgun safe in a discreet location. I know where it is. Um, and then for the, the rest of my collection, you know, I go to a guest bedroom and that bedroom, we have an extra bedroom in the house at the end of a hallway. And I've got that room made up with a, it's a bed that's either stripped or made neatly, a nightstand with a lamp, nothing on it, a piece of generic art in the wall. And the rest of the room is empty. If a thief is spending more time in running a house, he's going to open that door and say, oh, guest room, there's nothing in here. He's not going to waste his time. In that closet, I've got one of our agile quad systems. I've got 24 rifles. It's also at the end of a hallway. So in the event of a home invasion, we get to that room and we've got access to firearms and I've got a constriction point. We've got the hallway, which there's no way they're going to get to us. We'll be on the phone with the authorities and uh, just basically wait it out. But it's really looking at your home from a standpoint of where do I spend time? And if somebody was to break in at any moment, where would I be and what would I do? And kind of look at firearm storage from that standpoint. The last piece of it, and this is where we're really focused right now as a company, is the training side. We've really discovered a training gap. I work with a lot of firearms instructors. Um, just for me as a CEO of the company, and designing these systems, I go to every class I can take from tactical carbine, shotgun classes, long range precision shooting classes, handgun classes. And I'll do, I mean, I just did a four day handgun class. We shot probably 2,000 rounds. Um, so I get training wherever I can. And in doing all this, I realize all the training starts with the gun in your hand. But when we're home, our gun is in our safe. And first and foremost, if you want to be safe with firearms, they all have to be locked. An unlocked firearm in your home, I don't care if you've got kids or not, you're setting yourself up for a scenario where you can have an unauthorized access, accidental discharge, or a theft. So we're trying to get the, the 
training community, and we're just coming into this, we've been working on this for about six months to incorporate access as part of basic firearms training. Because my safes are all fast access. But if I gave you my safe, you put a firearm in it, it'll take you probably three seconds to open it and arm yourself. I practice a lot. I'm sub one second because I practice. And it's the same as if your people work with a handgun, you, you'll practice your dry fire drills, you'll practice your draw, all the motions. And they always tell you, practice every day for a few minutes. You're building muscle memory. You're, you're ingraining these patterns so that in the event of a conflict, your brain goes to fight or flight. You get tunnel vision. Your, your ability to think is severely diminished in this state. But if you've practiced a lot, that muscle memory, it will be second nature. And you'll go through the motions and be in a position to defend yourself. Access is the same thing. You know, when people buy our product, we tell them, like, if you've got a fast box under your bed every night, you go to sleep. Get in your bed, reach down in the dark, do your combination slowly and deliberately, open the safe. You have access to your gun, then close it back up, go to sleep. Do that every day, slowly, deliberately, without making a mistake. And about 35 days in, you've now developed the neural pathways. It's second nature. You no longer need to think about it. You're also becoming very fast at it. And you don't even notice. You know, In the military, they always say, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And it's, you know, my background as a musician, it's the same thing. You practice deliberately and slowly so that when you go to play, you play fast and you play clean. It's the same thing. So that's a big focus of the company right now. And we're, we've held a couple of events with uh, trainers and training community to try to get the whole firearms instruction community to consider access as part of their basic training. I learned a lot just listening to you right now. And I think listeners did too. And maybe some of us feel wholly inadequate in terms of our storage game. So we have to improve and maybe consider your product um, when fully but, equipping our house and in having that access. Because you're right. I haven't heard of many trainings. I've done, you know, dry fire, uh, lots of different type of tactical trainings, but nothing about storage much. So that's a very important point to home. It is. And, you know, yes, we make fast access safes, but there's others. I mean, if you're doing handguns, I'd love people to buy my product, but... Buy any product. You know, the, the idea that, and I hear this all the time, I've got a great big heavy safe in the basement, and then I've got a, a lot, you know, I keep a gun next to my bed unlocked. And or I keep a firearm, you know, they keep one in, in the closet or they, they places they keep one. And you always hear the story. I've talked to people and they're like, well, I don't have any kids and I got no grandkids. I'm really not worried about it. And that sounds okay. But then when you actually do the review of, accidental discharge, accidental shootings, children being shot because of access to a gun that should have been secured. It comes down to a chain of events, sometimes crazy events that anywhere along the way, if that chain had been broken, somebody would not have gotten hurt. You know, in a scenario I look at is, and you know, an older couple with no kids, they live alone. They're not worried about, it. they don't have any kids, neighbors, you know, two kids, husband, wife, all of a sudden, one day, the husband's 35 years old, has a stroke. Go, you know, ambulance is there. Wife's freaked out. Going to the hospital. He's not doing well. And there's the neighbors. Oh, we'll watch the kids. You go. They're all good friends. And now she's at the hospital with the husband. The husband is, you know, dealing with a stroke. She's dealing with that. The kids are now at the neighbors. The kids are kind of out of sorts. And maybe this, he's in the hospital for a week. And the, the mom is there every day. And the kids are next door. And the kids are bored. And they're... 
you know, and the, the people that are watching the kids, they don't have kids, so they're not really used to watching them. All of a sudden, the kids are kind of exploring the house, and boom, they find a firearm. You know, here's somebody who never thought that somebody would ever have access to a firearm because they don't have any kids. But the scenario, we've got a child in a house. And it's a crazy one in a, you know, one in a 10 million chance. But when you look at accidental discharge, when you look at the kids getting access to guns, sometimes that's what it is. And you say, why anywhere along this chain, if they had just locked it, you know, it's a simple thing and it's not expensive. And we can demonstrate that a locked firearm, properly placed, secured locked firearm is as fast as an unlocked firearm in a drawer. There's no difference. So we're really driving that, that concept, the idea that if every gun in America was properly secured, there's a lot of tragedies and a lot of thefts and accidents that would be avoided. So that's one of the big drivers of, of what we're trying to do right now. Safety is absolutely paramount. And I want you to go into your foray into the handgun market. You're also doing this for that market as well. So could you speak to that as well? Yeah, it's um, it's new for us. I mean, we've been coming out of the military. Everything we did was, you know, 84 inch high, 36 inch wide, 15 inch deep modular weapon racks. And we sell thousands of them to the military. We build armories with them. We have some civilians that do those, but we've been rifle based. Um, for a long time. And just this past year, we started going into handguns. And really, we could have got into it sooner. Um, there's a lot of handgun products on the market. And I didn't want to just jump in with a copycat product. So we're we're finalizing design on several new concepts in handgun storage, which really, it's the idea that you've got a, you can secure a handgun. This is designed for, like, if you've got a single woman and she's got a handgun. Well, she locks it next to her bed, which is great. It's fast access. She gets up in the morning, and now what happens? She's not going to carry her gun in her home. But she's now, she's downstairs in the kitchen, in the den. Maybe it's a two-story house. So we're looking at a solution. It's a, it's a modular solution where the safe is locked next to your bed, but then you can detach it and snap that same the same small handgun safe into your kitchen into a mounting unit. So it's it's like a portable, relocatable, high high you know fast access secure safe um and we're looking at transport options for cars and just it's a way of making gun safes work for us or handgun safes for the way we live most people buy a safe and they change the way they live to deal with the safe or they change their trade they they're, they operate differently because they have to deal with a big heavy safe or a clunky handgun safe so we're trying to design products that really ergonomically physically and in the way they work they allow us to all live our lives the way we want to, yet we've always got fast access to a firearm that nobody else can get to. That's a very positive development to hear. Changing gears a little bit, yeah. Tom, talk about the Secure It Ranch. You had mentioned that before oh, yeah. recording, you you and your wife acquired some property. You're wanting to do some preservation, maybe conservation. What is the Secure It Ranch so, to ever to do? Yeah, it's a, it's interesting. I had... You know, I told my wife, honey, I want to get some hunting land. And we started, I started looking at, you know, 75 acres here, 50 acres there. And, you know, hour drive, two hour drive from my home. You want to stay as close as possible. And she's looking, you know, she wasn't a hundred percent on board with like, oh God, something else to take you away from the house, you know, kind of a thing, tongue in cheek though. And uh, then she goes, honey, what about this one over here? And it was a, it was a listing 
and it was 500 acres and it was dramatically more than we wanted to spend and more land than I was ever thinking about. And I'm like, it was really close. It's 12 minutes from my house. And I thought about it for a little bit and made a few phone calls and the land was owned by several attorneys for their families. And it was called the Sheds Corner Preserve. And it's a really unique piece of property. It's surrounded by 5,000 acres of state land. And then I've got a a dairy farm and then I've got very rugged terrain. So it's very isolated land. Um, It's only accessible from a couple of points. And they were, they had it for sale for quite a while and they were just about to break it up and parcel it out to um, solar farms and, you know, energy companies. And then a couple of small guys buying 50 acre hunting pieces. A farmer was going to take a little bit and really cut up what really is a unique um, untouched piece of land in, uh, it's the foothills to the Catskill Mountains, so it's very rugged, and it's just beautiful land. So we came in, and it was quite a bit more money than we wanted to spend, and we did a little research. We were able to find some financing, so we put it together, and so we bought it in an LLC, and we're just to keep the land together, and started doing research on you know, the, what's available to me from the state from a conservation effort, and really there's not much because anything that I do with state assistance, they want me to sign a waiver that that basically I don't have rights to the land, um, full rights to the land. State has rights to the land. I wasn't willing to do that. But Secure It now leases the land from my LLC basically to, to cover the property taxes. And then we open the, the property up to a company for camping, um, hiking. We, we do hunting. We're, you know, we're really building it up for whitetail hunting. And then I'm hoping this year, certainly next year, we're going to open it up to youth groups and uh, some of the groups from Syracuse and some of the other cities that want to bring kids up into the wilderness. We've got probably 10 miles of marked trails, and it's very rugged terrain, so it's not just walking around. you got to really – you're moving up and down hills or streams, so kids that don't get out – and it's heavily forested. Some areas are so dark that you almost need a flashlight in the daytime. Um, the canopy is so thick. So the opportunities for kids to really get out and explore, um, if you, if, you know, for kids that just never get exposed to that. So we're hoping to open this up. And then I want to start a program with kids that just never have an opportunity to hunt, to work with guides and to introduce them into, um, into hunting. Cause, cause, you know, I see this where, it seems to me, and I haven't looked at the data, that the average age of American hunters is getting older and kids aren't getting into it like they used to. Right. And, uh, you know, there's the magic of hunting and it's not bringing home the the white tail. It's, you know, for me, it's sitting in a tree stand at 4.30 in the morning with a bow and I might not have a shot all day, but just sitting there and watching the sun, watching the forest wake up. You know, and you're sitting up about 18 feet, and the first thing you kind of notice is mice. And they're about every 15 feet. And then about 15 minutes later, the mice are gone. Now the squirrels are out. Then the then the, the flying squirrels are out. And you, just, you see the forest go through these changes every morning. And uh, I find that to be one of the most fascinating parts of hunting. And this fall, I typically, I'm out from 4.30, and I come to my office about 9.30, 10 o'clock. And I just sit and watch the forest wake up. And last year, I never had a shot with a bow. I ended up taking a nice, a nice deer with the rifle, but it's a, uh, and people, Oh, gee, Tom, too bad. And I said, no, I had a good season. So I'm, I want to get where people who never experienced that, whether they hunt or not, put them up in a tree stand without a cell phone, <laughs> you know, yes. and, just, 
<laughs> sit, sit for a, sit for an hour and a half and just watch what happens and listen what happens because it's a, it's amazing that it's you know in a heavily wooded forest a little bit of breeze, and the, the the forest makes a lot of noise, and it changes as the sun comes up and it's just really really, uh, I find it fascinating I find it very relaxing and uh, and something that, you know some I do by myself that I want to get other people to experience, especially kids who just don't get a chance, get them away from their phones, away from their iPads, because all the games in the world can't replace, you know, the magic of what happens every morning when the sun comes up, and when the sun goes down, all those changes. Yeah. Technology can supplement and highlight your experience. Absolutely. But yes, we're in a very distracted world and individuals like you may need to pick up the slack for teaching kids how to hunt and do archery because the department of education just discontinued funding for archery in schools. Bizarre that uh, that's even being up for discussion. So we may have to pick up the slack. Those of us outside of government in the private sector and nonprofits to teach young people how to keep these traditions alive. Yeah. The, uh, the archery program, I mean, it's the States aren't funding it, but the, uh, was it NASP, the national archery, the in-school archery Mm -hmm. program i think they're still growing um i hosted a tv show on the sportsman's channel last year and we did a feature on nasp and i went to their uh their national competition it's sixteen thousand kids shooting amazing it it, it was it's it's the largest archery tournament every year and it gets bigger and uh the other ones also is the uh the sporting clays that's the fastest growing school sport, I believe, mm. is um, the U.S. U.S. Clay Target League. And I mean, I live in New York State where the gun laws are crazy and the politicians are nuts. <laughs> We've got just around me here, I've got probably 15 school districts that are supporting uh, clay target shooting teams. Amazing. Wow. And what they find in both of those is the kids that participate do better in school and those sports get to the kids that don't compete in other sports because you don't have to be big. You don't have to be tall. You don't have to necessarily be athletically coordinated. Correct. Be very good with a bow, very good with a shotgun. So when you see the effect of these programs, it's giving those kids that you know aren't part of the sports program a chance to compete. And, and they can absolutely lay out that the kids in the program – do better than the kids that aren't in the program. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that the archery program was available. I'm dating myself, but I was, uh, gosh, in grade school. I'm 32 now, so it's a while yeah. ago. I don't think my school offered it, <laughs> so I wouldn't have. Oh, known. Yeah, when I when I, I mean I grew up, yeah. I'm I'm quite a bit farther back, but <laughs> we didn't have. Uh, what's interesting though is when I was a little kid in the school, and this was in the 1960s, like first second grade, kids would come to school for show and tell with their grandpa's shotgun. That's unheard Nobody of cared. today in most cases. Right, right. Nobody cared. I mean, it was, it was just, you had, you know, guys, in the, I lived in a small town. You you see a pickup truck, there's a rifle rack in the back and everybody hunted. And uh, that's kind of all, that's kind of all gone. But uh, I'm hoping we, we, I, we, we did some work secure it with the uh, U.S. Clay Target League, some marketing work and some support work with them. And uh it's, that, that's a really neat, if, you're, if your listeners just do a little research on that, if you got kids in school, certainly take a look at it. And they've got a lot of information where parents can, with the help of the organization, open a chapter in your school. And they've got everything you need to do it. 
and uh, the success of the program, even in school districts that are, you know, areas in New York, like New York City was very anti-gun. They've been very successful with these programs. And when the parents see the kids, how they're developing this ability to focus, um, they, they, they get won over very, very quickly. I may do a follow-up story with the folks at NAP, NASP. I'm going to write about it on a political mm. blog that I write for, but I should probably speak to their their leader, uh, the person who's in charge, because I feel like it'd be nice for them to tell in an audio or video format yeah. what the implications are. So that's a call to action I'm going to do. Tom, it's been so fun to talk yeah. to you and, and learn about Secure It. If my listeners are curious about upping their gun storage game, learning more about the company, the products you guys offer – about your story, your ranch, how can they connect with you? And, and what would you recommend them get? Um, with secure, it's just, you just Google the word secure it and it's secure and it together. It's secure it We're all over social media on YouTube. Um, you know, everybody's unique. Everybody's different. But if you're looking for fat, you know, everything we do is fast access, but we have everything from a one gun solution up to 12 gun solutions. And then, it's modular and scalable, so our Agile cabinet line is a six-gun safe, but they all bolt together into a quad, and you just they stack up vertically and they bolt together sideways. So it's a, uh, and that we learn from building military armories. So people can start off with our solution very small, and then slowly add more. As opposed to the gun safe, they always tell you buy the biggest safe you can afford because you'll grow into it. That's crazy. Buy what you need, and if you need more, buy more. And that's kind of that's kind of our methodology for looking at it. Outstanding. This has been a riveting conversation. I learned a lot from this, and I'm going to try to improve my storage skills as well and uh, make it more secure. Tom, thank you so much for joining, and I hope my listeners will follow up with you and learn more about what Secure It has to offer. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure you're connected to us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And also on your preferred player, we recommend Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us reviews if you really like the content. Share the podcast with friends who may be interested in learning more about what's trending in conservation and the related industries that entangle with it and sometimes work against it as well. Thanks for listening to the show and stay tuned for the next episode.